Okay, we are in Acts chapter 24. And Paul was making his defense before Felix and then, and then sharing more with Felix and his wife Drusilla. And we had seen in verse 26, it says in Acts 24:26, at the same time too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul, therefore he used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So Paul was imprisoned for two years. Now remember, he was picked up in the synagogue, beaten. He was given a a quick little hearing there in Jerusalem, then brought to Caesarea, given a hearing in Caesarea, They came with many accusations that they could not support. And then Felix left him in prison, calling back for him often, hoping that Paul would bribe him so that he could get out. So realizing that Paul had access, either through his own means or through the means of his friends, to a lot of money. And it says that we had read that that he was given freedom to meet with his friends often. So Felix provided a way where Paul could have gotten money through his friends meeting with him, so that Felix could have gotten the bride. But Paul never entertained him in that bride. Paul refused to walk in a manner that wasn't right, even though the leader of the community, the, the leader over this, the, the, the structure of, of the, the guard there, was looking for a bride. I think that this is an important lesson for us and that if we, are walk, if we are working for somebody that is doing something that's improper, we are not to engage in the improper activity. We are not to follow through with it. So if your boss should say, well, just do this and this. If it's not right, don't do it. Just respectfully go to your boss and to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Would you please not ask me to do that? I'd like to serve you, but I can't do that because it's wrong. You will be blessed. Even if you are fired, you will be blessed. But I think that any boss that would see that sort of activity in someone would want that employee all the more. You know, when I, when I uh, send my car in for service to certain places, all the change goes from the, the ashtray at certain places. And so I would always go and speak to the boss and say, you know, when I had my car serviced here, I had a few dollars in change that I keep in the ashtray. It's now gone. If your employees do this to me, I guarantee you they're stealing from you more than they are from me. And a good boss will very quickly deal with that. So it's a good lesson for us that we're not to participate in this sort of, of activity. And in fact, I've, I've heard stories. So this is a story of a, of a man who had a, uh, uh, a hardware store. And he would advertise, he'd put a sign out in front, looking for a boy to work. And this is like when I was a kid, you know, a boy would be hired to work part-time. And, you know, usually to sweep up or something. And what he would do is he would have the boy sweep and he would leave intentionally, the owner of the store would leave intentionally 
a little bit of change just by the edges of the, of the counter there by the register. And so one day he had a, a boy and he did some sweeping up and nothing much came of it. And then he asked the boy to sort some nails. So the boy went to the back room and he was sorting some nails and the, the man had left a big box of nails there and said, sort these in, into the different nail types so that we can get them sorted out. And after the boy had done about half of that box, and it was a tedious job, he came to the boss, he says, I don't want to work here anymore. So the boss thought, oh, okay, that's fine. So he put out the advertising and he got another boy. And interestingly, when this boy would sweep, uh, the, the boss came and he says, you've done a good job. And the boy said, oh yeah, and I found this change underneath the counter. I just put it back up there by the register. You must have dropped it when you were counting change from the register. So the boss realized he had something, some treasure in this boy. He asked this boy to start sorting this box of nails in the back. And it took a couple of days to get it all sorted. And then the boss came and he says, oh, you've got the nails sorted. The boy said, yeah, I got them all done. He says, oh, and by the way, I found this $20 bill halfway through that box. And so I left this for you. So the boy alerted the boss to the $20 bill. And the boss had just left $20 bills there in that box, wanting to discern when he would find an honest boy. And so it was an interesting way that this store owner would test to see if the boys that he had hired were honest. It cost him $20 at times, but that was worth it to him. If we walk uprightly, we will be blessed. I tell my students, please report the yields honestly. And if when I'm writing the paper you see that I've written something that's not quite right, that doesn't match up quite exactly with what you've done, it's only because I didn't understand the data. Come and alert me. I don't want anything to go out there that's not right. I don't want anything to go out there that's not right. And especially us as believers, and I'll tell you what will happen, is if, if we're not honest with things, we may not get caught. But then what happens is another thing will come, and it'll be bigger, and we won't be honest about that. And one day, it will be exposed. And the other thing is, people have a way of seeing honesty within our faces. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, do you see, do you see a man who, um, who is telling a lie? His face got, undergoes these great contortions, because he was never made to tell a lie. And as he was telling a lie, it just, you could see it in his face. And then I read this report of men who do professional interrogations. And they could watch interrogations going on, and they would tell whether the person was lying or not, because they were professional interrogators themselves. And it was amazing their success rate. Seventeen times out of twenty, they were correct that the person was lying or the person was not lying. 17 times out of 20. And what was interesting about these interrogators, they weren't allowed to watch an interrogation in their own language. They had to watch an interrogation going on between an interrogator and, and a suspect, and it was in a language that they didn't know. So just by watching the facial expressions of the one being interrogated, they could tell whether the person was lying or not. 17 out of 20 times in a language they didn't even know. So there are things that give it away, even to people, if they don't realize it, they don't, 
They may not say, oh, that man's a liar, what he just said. But inside, there's something we know about the quality of that person. There's something we know just about the way they speak. And we carry that with us. Paul refused to get involved in illicit activity of paying a bribe. Even though it was the order of the day. That's the way things were done. Felix was like, I'm calling for you again. Well, duh, don't you get what I'm doing? (laughs) And uh, Paul would not give him a nickel. For two years, for two years, this man stayed in prison. And we would think, what a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. I mean, Paul could be out ministering. Think of how many people there are that could have gotten saved had Paul been out out on some missionary journey rather than stuck in some prison. And then we read in the book of Philippians how when Paul is in prison in Rome, he's in prison again for, for a long period of time and it says the entire Praetorian Guard has heard. So every time... A a, uh, Roman soldier was chained to him, and because he was a prisoner, always his right hand was chained to a Roman soldier. The Roman soldier was hearing the Word of God. We know from prisons, Paul wrote much of the New Testament from prisons. So what we deem as a waste of life, a waste of my time, God, my time here, this is just such a waste. Don't you see what's happening? It's not a waste to God. Will we allow this time to be fruitful? We don't see Paul stamping around and spitting, saying, God, this is such a waste of time. Do you know how effective my ministry can be? It just so happens all Paul can do is share with the guy next to him, share with the, 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 uh, the leaders of the guard there, share with, with Felix. And the way Felix was ultimately thrown out of his office from, from, uh, from being in, in that office, the same office that Pilate had held formerly, the Pilate that we read about that had, had, had Jesus uh, uh, crucified. So Felix was put out of this office, as, as we said before, because there was an uprising in Caesarea, again, with the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul sent in his forces, killed a lot of Jews, the Jews being being a, a quite, quite an educated group, appealed to Caesar and had, uh, had Felix removed. And that's why it says, wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. You say, well, why did he wish to do the Jews a favor? He didn't want any more troubles with these people. It was the Jews that got him in trouble with the emperor. It was the emperor who was now calling Felix back. And, and Felix wanted no more trouble, so he just left Paul imprisoned. So Festus comes on. Now let's read in Acts chapter 25. Festus, then having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that they might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. 
After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against, which, against him which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and to stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if, I, if none of those things is true, which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus had conferred with his counsel. He answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now several days later, had elapsed, several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that, none of the, that, that it's not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets the accuser face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accuser stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement about which, about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss of how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I would also like to hear him. And tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Okay, so Festus goes ahead and comes in, replaces Felix. He goes first to Jerusalem to visit because he, 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 he's uh, over this area of Jerusalem, though his office is in Caesarea on the coast. So he goes to Jerusalem, and the Jews, after two years of Paul being in prison, you'd think they'd be satisfied. No, they have more accusations. So they're bringing up this case about Paul. They haven't forgotten about the guy. Remember what I told you, that anger, anger does not pacify. Anger does not make something go away. Only forgiveness makes things pass away. If you're angry, you get more angry. And even having this person spend two years in jail doesn't satisfy. And so they appeal to him and he says, look, you're going to have to come to Caesarea and, and, and go ahead, bring, bring people and let them accuse him. So they come to Caesarea and immediately, uh, Festus is doing exactly what he has to do. He's doing his job right up to this point. And he, right away, the next day, he meets... The Jews bring their charges. Paul says they can't prove a thing. And so, the, so, so then the Jews say, why don't you just bring them to Jerusalem? And he says, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial? Now, Paul knew that before that they had planned to kill him. We knew that there had been an ambush laid previously. He says, no, I'm not willing to do that. Now Paul knew he would not get a proper hearing. 
because Paul says, I am standing trial before Caesar's tribunal. It is right here in Caesarea. There's no need to send me back there. And Festus himself, this is why I read to the end of this, Festus himself shares with King Agrippa later on. He says, there's nothing here. All there was was some disagreements about the guy's religion and about a dead man named Jesus that Paul asserted to be alive. But nothing worthy of death. Nothing worthy even of imprisonment. And we had seen the same thing from Lysias, the commander that had delivered him. There was nothing there. There was no case. You, one day, will be wrongly accused. Maybe at work, it may be in some other situation, somebody will accuse you of something that you have done. Remember this. You are not the first person who has been wrongly accused. And remember the reaction of Paul. He says, I did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong, but he would not lash out against the Jews. And, and Festus knew this to be true. So all Paul could do was to appeal to Caesar, because he knew had he gone back to Jerusalem, that would be his death. So he appeals to Caesar. Now you may, might remember when Paul was giving his testimony, what did Jesus say to him on the road to Damascus? He said, you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles and to kings. That was his promise. He's about to appear before King Agrippa, and he's eventually going to appear in Rome before Nero. So this is a fulfillment of what was given to Paul on the day that he was saved. So now Festus has a problem. Paul has appealed to Caesar. Festus has nothing to write to Caesar of the accusation against this guy. So Festus now is caught. Once the man has appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, he has a right to be sent to Caesar. But Festus has to write what the accusations are. So in Festus, not proclaiming him innocent is now in a real predicament. If you don't do what's right in your life, you will be trapped. I'm telling you, you will be trapped. If, you don't, if I don't do the right thing, something's going to trap me. If I do the right thing, and something looks like a trap, God will deliver me. God will deliver me. But if you don't do the right thing in your job, in your work, in your life, you're going to be trapped. You're going to be caught. And so this man was now caught. So now King Agrippa comes. King Agrippa comes with his, his wife, Bernice, who was really his sister. He was living her, with her in an incestual relationship. And he, he comes and... And he knows a lot about Judaism. He is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was uh, the one who had had all the little children killed when Jesus was just born, and he wanted to kill Jesus too along with him. But, but the angel had, had told Joseph and Mary, had told Joseph, go flee to Egypt. And Herod the Great had become a so-called Jew in order to bring peace in this, in, in this whole process. So, so King, King Agrippa knew a lot about Judaism. And so King Agrippa says, yeah, I want to hear this guy. I want to hear about him. I want to hear this case. So Festus is just looking for some help here. Now look in verse 23 of Acts chapter 25. So on the next day, Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at command of Festus. Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa... And all you gentlemen here, present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appeal to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. 
but I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death since he himself appealed to the emperor I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about to write to my lord. Therefore I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place I may have something to write. For it seemed absurd to me to send a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. So you see that, that Festus is very open about his predicament here. But he's trapped. He's trapped. Remember when Paul appealed to Caesar, it said back in verse, in verse uh, um, 12 that Festus conferred with his council and his council said, the law is the law. You didn't, you didn't declare him innocent. He has now appealed to Caesar. To Caesar he must go. That's, that was the law. He was stuck here. So here's the guy, the first day on the job, and he's in trouble because he didn't do what was right. And, and uh, uh, King Agrippa is there. He says, I'd like to hear him. But you see this testimony in, in, in verse 25. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. There's nothing here. There is nothing here. And we had seen other portions where it said there was nothing worthy of death, Lysias said, or of imprisonment. Nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. All of this was in God's way. You know, when we go through things in life, we sometimes think, God, this is such a waste of time. Why am I doing this? And God's saying, no, this is not a waste of time. I have something for you. And you see that Paul was willing to go through all of this. Very different, different sort of response this guy has. He says, I have nothing definite here to write. Paul has to now, is just this pawn being tossed about. We don't know what the world has for us. This is just a blip in all of human history, the time that we are living in, where people have the freedoms that they do. And this is not throughout the world, this is in in a few regions of the world, that people have the freedom to go and to come and to do this and to study when they want. And Remember, this is just a blip in human history. Most of human history is we are tossed about by the events of the time. But God is very much in that. Remember, Joseph and Mary, Mary was great with child, but God knowing that according to His Word, that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Mary is all the way up in Nazareth. How is he going to get her to Nazareth? Well, what does he do? He has Caesar Augustus proclaim a census. So everybody had to go back to their hometown. It didn't say uh, uh, women in their third trimester and onward are, are, are omitted from this. No, that's it. You had to go. And so here she is, great with child. Joseph has to bring her. I don't think that they really had a donkey like you see on the movies because they were a very poor family. Remember, the only thing they could offer up were turtle doves. They couldn't order. They couldn't own a donkey. So she's probably walking great with child. And I feel sorry for Joseph sometimes. <laughs> it's a big joke. <laughs> but... It, it was rough on them. Watchman Nee says, never feel that you're so spiritual that you don't have to be led by circumstances. God will often order circumstances to lead us. 
You don't get into a particular school. Well, I wanted to get into that school. God, you know how much I... God, I really felt you wanted me there. Well, if he really wanted you there, you would have gotten in. You would have. He has a way of leading us by circumstances. And let's never get so spiritual that we think that God can just speak a word to me. And that's how he's going to lead me. No, God throughout the scriptures has led people by circumstances. Again and again. Sometimes he speaks a word and you go according to his word. Other times, I mean, Paul is being led about by a chain. This is circumstances that are leading Paul. That are totally outside of his control. So when students come to me all crying, what about the economy? Are there going to be any jobs out there when I get done? I don't know. But you're going to be all right. Because the Bible says, the children of the righteous shall never beg bread. If you live a righteous life and a life that's giving, you will never beg bread. Your children will never beg bread. You will be taken care of. The children of the righteous will never beg bread. I don't know what the world has. I don't know what the economy has. I don't know if we're in a recession or a depression or what. I have no idea. I'm one little guy. I don't know. But all I know is, you stay true to the Lord, and God will bless you. And God will lead you through. And what looks like a waste of time, if you will allow God to use you, epistles will be written in your life. Things will happen through you to touch many other people. Paul was no exception. Paul was tossed about by the circumstances of life much more than we are. And so as the times get rough, remember that the Scriptures say, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And as the world gets, gets turbulent in things, remember, you live your, right, your, your life righteously, uprightly, God will bless you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, the truth of it, the lessons of your word. Father, thank you for the life of Paul that he would not pay a bribe. He would only do what was right. Thank you, Lord, for the the truth of, of living a life that is totally subjected to you. And Father, what you were able to do with this man even through the circumstances that he went through. Father, I pray for these young people that there will be doors opening and closing before them. Father, I pray that you would lead and guide them properly and safely and their hearts would not become bitter against you, but they would bow to your will and live their lives righteously and in a giving fashion. Father, your grace be upon them, I pray. Father, I pray for these young people that you would lead them safely. The grace of God be with them. And Lord, many of, a, of the, the students from this class will be returning to campus today. Lord, I pray your grace to be upon them as well. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.